Our partnership with Russia will be added to our partnership with Syria and our partnership with Cambodia and our partnership with Guatemala and our partnership with Kenya, just to name a few, so that you're going to have many opportunities to serve the Lord literally around the world in short-term mission opportunities, taking your abilities and your gifts and your passions and being a blessing to God's people and God's work around the world. So if you've always had a desire to visit the former Soviet Union in the days ahead, you're going to have that opportunity. I know that's high on most of your wish lists to visit the former Soviet Union, but seriously, one of these trips, and we have many of them each year, will really be a transformational experience for you. And those who have gone would readily testify to that. Well, today we're going to return to our study of the topic of praise. And in our first three messages in this study, we saw that we are to praise God first because God declares it. He commands it not for His benefit, but for ours. Then we saw that God deserves it and that God delights in it and that God dwells in it. And we considered what each of those means in our daily experience. Today we're going to begin to consider, because it will take us this week and next week, the fifth and final reason why we are to praise the Lord, and that is because God delivers. God delivers in praise. Our launching text today comes from the Psalms, Psalm number 22 and verses 3 and 4. This is what the psalmist wrote. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. I'm entitling this study, The Power of Praise. The Power of Praise. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, in these coming moments, we want to learn your Word, because you reveal yourself to us in your Word. In your Word, you give us the blueprint for effective living. In your Word, you direct us in the paths of blessing. In your Word, you warn us about the detail, detours of heartache and disappointment. So we need to know your Word. We want to know your Word. Today, by your Holy Spirit, empower me for the preaching and teaching of your word. Because, Father, you know, I know, this congregation knows that I cannot do this in my own power. And I pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that we might receive your word and know what you're saying to us this day, where we are with what we have. Help us to take that next step of growth in grace and in the knowledge of God. And in all of these things, we pray that your church would be built up and that your work would be advanced in this broken and sin-sick world. And as always, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And as we study God's Word together today, may the Lord be with you. Effective Bible study involves more than merely interpreting God's words. It also interprets God's ways. Not just His words, 
but His ways. You see, God essentially instructs us in His Word in two different ways. First of all, by His pronouncements, by His commands, by His instructions, by His revelations, but also by His patterns of behavior, by the way God conducts Himself as we observe His conduct over many centuries from Genesis to Revelation. And as we observe God's pattern of behavior, there is an unmistakable pattern that emerges involving our praise. And that pattern indicates that God delivers in praise. What do I mean by delivers? Praise prepares the way for the demonstration of God's power on behalf of His people. When God reveals His power on your behalf, that's God's deliverance. And praise prepares the way for God's deliverance. There are many examples of this in Scripture. For example, when Jonah, in the belly of the great fish, stopped pouting about God's will and began praising, his release came shortly thereafter. When an ancient king by the name of Jehoshaphat placed men in front of the army of Israel to do nothing but praise God with their voices and with their hands, we read that God routed their enemy without any use of weapons. Not a spear was thrown, not a sword was raised, not an arrow was launched as these men out ahead of the army just praised God continually. The enemies of Israel were routed and defeated and fled. And then there's Paul and Silas locked in an inhumane prison system. What did they do? They began to sing God's Praises. Somebody has labeled it the first sacred concert in Europe. And as they began to sing God's praises, God literally brought the house down and delivered them. And there are countless examples like this throughout Scripture where God's praise brings the demonstration of God's power. There is a pattern. Now notice, in my PowerPoint, I said that praise prepares the way for God's intervention. I didn't say that it guarantees the form of the intervention. Praise is not a way for you to get exactly what you want from God. Praise is not a magic wand that turns God into your servant. What praise does is it prepares the way for God's intervention. But the form of that intervention may vary. You see, sometimes God empowers His people in the midst of a challenge, in the midst of adversity, and He empowers us to escape that adversity. But other times, God empowers us to endure adversity. Now, most of us would vote for escape over endure. Lord, I just assume you sweep it away rather than give me grace to walk through it. But I think you know that God often says, no, I'm not going to just sweep it away, but I'm going to keep you through it. I'm going to grow you through it. I'm going to teach you through it. And I'm going to bring you through it. There is the power to escape. There is the power to endure. And praise doesn't guarantee what kind of power you're going to get. 
but it does prepare the way for God's power. Because even though God loves his people unconditionally, even though God loves his people continually, Scripture makes it clear that our experience of the power of God often hinges upon specific actions and specific attitudes on our part. We need to position ourselves to experience the power of God. We need to get to that place where God can pour His power into our life. And praise prepares the way for the revelation of God's power. Now, the Bible doesn't dissect all of the details of this praise and power connection. In short, it doesn't tell us exactly how it works. But I think as we observe the connection throughout Scripture, just the pattern itself suggests why praise prepares the way for God's power. And I'd like to suggest that it does so, first of all, in this way. Praise positions you for God's favor for two reasons, because it's an act of faith that honors Him. It's an act of faith that honors Him. When you praise God, especially in a time of difficulty, especially in a time of adversity, that praise undergirds your faith. It strengthens your faith. It fuels your faith, and it expresses your faith in the spiritual realm. And your praise during adversity is a sign that you have accepted the Word of God and the promises of God, and you have put your trust in the character of God. And you're not going to be shaken, and you're not going to start grumbling, and you're not going to start questioning, and you're not going to start whining, because you trust in God. Praise says that. Now, God is on record that He rewards faith, and that he honors those who honor him. You'll find that in the supporting text there on the PowerPoint and in your note-taking God. God rewards faith, and he honors those who honor him. So, if in adversity you are praising God, what are you doing? You're expressing your faith. He honors that. You're honoring him. He will honor you. So that's one way in which praise prepares the way for God's power. Secondly, praise develops spiritual discernment. And that's essential to resisting evil. Discernment is the ability to tell what's really going on behind the obvious. Is something of God... Or is it a spiritual attack from Satan and the principalities and powers and forces of darkness? Does something have its origin in God? Does it have its origin in the kingdom of evil? Or is it rather neutral? Or does it have its origin in me? The thoughts and the feelings that I'm having, are they coming from God? Are they coming from the enemy? Are they coming from the world? Are they coming from me? The ability to tell what's going on is what the Bible calls discernment. That sensitivity. And absent that sensitivity, we remain ignorant of Satan's devices. We fail to understand his schemes and what he's attempting to do in our lives. And that puts us at a serious 
spiritual disadvantage. Just this past week, I was talking to a believer who had a real zeal for God. But she did not have discernment. And so the enemy was using her zeal for God in a destructive way to actually hurt the work of God. Because zeal without knowledge, zeal without discernment can be just as devastating as pure, raw evil. See, if you love Jesus but you don't know what's going on, you can do a lot of damage. You can do a lot of damage. Praise helps fuel our discernment. Third, praise is a way of resisting Satan who hates it. What does James tell us? Resist the devil and what will he do? Flee from you. Now notice it doesn't say immediately. Doesn't say how long you're going to have to resist him. But it does say if you resist him, he will flee from you. And praise is a big part of that. Because whenever you are making the choice to praise God, it limits the effectiveness of Satan's dark darts, excuse me, of discouragement. It hinders his ability to intimidate you, to manipulate you, to deceive you, to accuse you, and to discourage you. All indications are in the Old Testament that Satan was at one time, Lucifer was at one time, either a chief worship leader in heaven or perhaps even the chief worship leader in heaven. But as we all know, he rebelled against God and he said, I can do this better than God does it. I should be the one that governs the universe. And so he was fired from his post. Without severance, by the way. And having failed to unseat God, from that moment forward, he detests praise. Because here's what praise does. Praise honors the God who defeated him. Praise proclaims Satan's demise and Satan's defeat. And praise uncovers his schemes and his traps and his snares. And that, my friends, explains why so often in the history of the church, praise and worship become divisive issues among Christians. Have you ever noticed how often people who love Jesus fight over music, fight over worship styles? fight over praise styles and musical styles. That's not coincidental. Satan hates us doing what he once did but can do no longer. Satan is aware of the influence and the power of believers praising God. So if he can't stop our praise, he'll attempt to poison our praise by leading us to fight over our praise. When Pastor Kelvin Walker was with us, he had a little expression he learned growing up, and it, it wasn't meant as an insult to choir members, hardly. It was just talking about this dynamic. And he said, growing up, my mom used to tell me when Satan was kicked out of heaven, he fell into the choir loft. 
Now again, that's not a knock on people in a choir. That's just saying that's where he likes to bring a lot of disruption. In the 70s and the 80s, the church in the United States went through what was called, think of this, the worship wars. Churches splitting, people fighting, people dividing, drums or no drums, guitars or no guitars, contemporary or old fashioned. Who do you think was behind all of that? Somebody who recognizes the power of praise, hates the power of praise, and wants to poison the praises of the church. Fourth, praise prepares the way for God's power because it makes us more aware of God's presence. And it's the awareness of God's presence that is fostered by praise that helps us to keep our hope intact, to keep our confidence high, that helps us to look for God in the midst of adversity. Confidence comes out of the awareness of God's presence. David put it this way, Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't fear any evil. Why? For you are with me. I don't know what lies ahead. I don't know how long this valley's going to be. I don't know how hard this valley's going to be. But I know you are with me. Praise makes you mindful of the presence of God, and the presence of God feeds your hope. Now, I'm sure there are other factors in the connection between praise and God's power, but here's what I want to remind you of. Complete understanding of how God works isn't necessary for participation in the works of God. For example, I couldn't tell you how my iPod works. I couldn't begin to tell you how my iPod works, how I can put over a thousand songs into that little, little device. But that doesn't stop me from using it. And in the same way, we may not understand completely why praise and God's power are so intricately connected, but that shouldn't stop us from using it. And there are several areas where employing God's praise will help us to find power and deliverance and victory. And we're going to look at just the first of those this weekend, and then we'll consider the others next weekend. But the first area where I believe praise brings the release of God's power is in the area of our own sin. Praise helps us experience deliverance from sin. The primary area where every one of us needs to see the power of God is not in the sin that is in the world. The primary area where we need to see sin overcome is in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own spirits. Oswald Chambers said, No one really knows what sin is until they're born again. And if you're a born-again follower of Jesus, you know what Oswald Chamber meant. Before you came to Jesus, you just sort of blew through life. You didn't even think in terms of sin and righteousness. You just did whatever. But after you come to Jesus and the Holy Spirit takes residence in your spirit, 
every time you get near sin, the alarm of the Holy Spirit goes off. Danger, danger, danger. You become aware of evil once God has brought you into His kingdom. That's when your spiritual sensitivities are turned on. That's when you become alive. As we've been seeing in Ephesians, prior to the new birth, we're dead in sin. Dead people don't get it. But after we come to Jesus, we are alive in Him and we're able to see the difference between evil and righteousness, good and evil. And that's why so many new believers struggle with assurance of their salvation. Because they say, well, I've been saved now about six months and I'm, I'm aware of more evil in my own heart than I was before I became a Christian. It's like I've gotten worse instead of better. No, God just turned on the lights. And for the first time, you're seeing what had been there all along. But you're seeing it in the context of the power of God who is showing it to you so He can help you jettison it, put it away, put it off, and develop new habits of conduct. So, praise helps to deliver us from the power of sin. Here's why. Here's how. First of all, Praise brings conviction through contrast. Conviction through contrast. Now, I list Isaiah chapter 6 as the spiritual undergirding, the scriptural undergirding for this. Here's why. Before you can confess sin, before you can repent of sin, before you can put off sin in your life, you have to be conscious of the sin that is in your life. You have to identify it before you can repent of it, confess it, and seek the power of God to overcome it. Now, in Isaiah chapter 6, we read that the prophet was granted a great privilege. He was granted the opportunity to see God seated upon the throne of the universe. And if you've read that chapter, you know that Isaiah says that in the year of the king's death, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he describes God on his throne, and he sees the majesty of God, and he sees the perfection of God, and he sees the holiness of God. And what does he say immediately as he recognizes all of that? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips... And I dwell among a people with unclean lips. Isaiah saw God, heard the praise in heaven, and in contrast, immediately recognized how sinful he was in comparison. Nobody dumped a truckload of guilt on him. Nobody said, Isaiah, you do this wrong and you do that wrong, and you've fallen short here, and you've fallen short. No, nobody dumped a bunch of guilt on him. He just saw God, and he heard praise, and in contrast to the majesty of God, he looked inward and thought, boy, I'm not like him. I've got issues. I've got junk, and I need cleansing. Now, that's vital. That's so vital, and here's why. You can't shame yourself 
or others into godliness. You cannot shame people into godliness. When preachers mistakenly try to move people towards righteousness by week after week after week after week saying, shame on you, you messed up again, God's disappointed in you, you failed here, you failed there. They don't move people towards righteousness, they move them towards despair. You see, a certain amount of shame is essential. That says we still have the capacity to fall under conviction, to blush over our own evil. But shame left to itself, shame alone, doesn't make us righteous. It breeds anger, frustration, apathy, and ultimately total withdrawal from God. How does righteousness increase in our lives when the church lifts up Jesus in praise and builds up people by encouraging them to praise rather than lifting up shame and beating up people? There's an old expression I've shared with you many times. A man can call his son a jackass once, maybe twice, but if he calls him a jackass every day, the day will come when he can put a, son, a saddle on his son and ride him. Just a way of saying we all tend to conform to the labels put, people put on us. Okay? So, you can't shame yourself into being a better disciple. Trust me, I tried it for years does not work. It'll just tick you off and make you want to walk away altogether. No, God convicts us by contrast. He lays the perfectly straight stick of the Lord Jesus alongside of us so we see where we're crooked. And then he says, but I make the crooked straight. Secondly, praise inspires hope by pointing to God. The devil wants to rob you of your hope. He wants to convince you that that besetting habit, that sin that you struggle with, will always sit upon you and you'll never get victory over it and you'll never escape it. He wants you to lose the hope of God's powerful renewal in your life. Because once you lose hope, It will crush your soul. If you lose hope, you won't even entertain the thought of change, much less less attempt it. And that's where praise helps us. In a world that suggests that the status is the quo, that things cannot really change, the doxologies of God's people, the praises of God's people become songs and acts of defiance whereby we say, I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what the experts say. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the devil says. My God is able to complete what he started in me. And he can deliver me, and he can change me, and he can give me enduring victory in this area of my life. If you don't have hope, you won't even try. Jesse Jackson, for a period of his time in the public eye, had as one of his favorite expressions, keep hope alive, 
Keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. But if your hope isn't in God, all you're doing is keeping a myth alive. But when your hope is in God, that'll keep your hope alive and praise will keep your hope alive. Third. No, not third. I got one more point on this one. Get ahead of myself. In Psalm 100, David refers to us as the sheep of God's pasture. And then we're told that we're to enter God's courts with praise. I know if you ever thought about this connection. Sheep of God's pasture, and we're to enter His courts with praise. Do you know the only time sheep ever entered the courts of the Lord, the courts of the temple, was when they were going to be sacrificed. That's the only time sheep entered the courts of the Lord, when they were going to be sacrificed. So what is God saying to us in that song? I'd like to suggest, here's what God was saying. I have called you, Romans 12, to present yourselves as living sacrifices to put your life in my hands, let me do with you what I want to do, transform you the way I want to transform you, use you the way I want to use you, bless you the way I want to bless you, mold you the way I want to mold you. I'm calling you to put your life in my hands, to be a living sacrifice. But to do that, you've got to trust me. And to do that, you've got to be convinced that I won't let you down. And if as you come to present yourself a living sacrifice, you do so, with my praises in your mind and in your heart and on your lips declaring how good I am, how faithful I am, how I have been faithful generation after generation after generation. It'll help you to step in. It'll help you to stay in. It'll help you to plunge through. Praise will grease the slide for your trust in God in your life. And finally, praise affords deliverance from sin and affects deliverance from sin because doxology guards against idolatry. Doxology is just another name for praising God. Doxology guards against idolatry. Idolatry is when we put our confidence, our ultimate devotion in anything or anyone other than God. And praise helps us to avoid that because as we focus in on the power of God and the majesty of God and the track record of God, it reminds us there are no substitutes for God. There are no substitutes for God. Money can never do for me what God can do for me. Another sexual encounter cannot do for me what God can do for me. Another title, another position, another car, another house, another friend cannot do for me what God can do for me. He doesn't have any rivals. There are no substitutes to God. And so as I praise Him, it guards against idolatry. You see, in closing, I want to remind you of this. The best safeguard against temptation is a satisfied heart. The best safeguard against temptation is a satisfied heart. If I haven't eaten for two days and somebody puts a cold Spam sandwich 
in front of me. That cold spam sandwich. By the way, spam means something posing as meat. That's what spam means. That cold spam sandwich will have great appeal to me, right? Because I am hungry. But if I have just finished a perfectly done filet mignon, baked potato, chives, and sour cream. I love doing this to you. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really a very sadistic person at heart. Fresh green beans, sweet tea, pecan pie. If I've just finished that, and a half an hour later you put a cold Spam sandwich in front of me, do I have to muster up some great moral courage to resist that Spam sandwich? No. Because I'm already satisfied with something infinitely better. And see, the reason we struggle with pornography or materialism or old pains or old hurts or anger or fear or insecurity or whatever is because we haven't yet dined upon the goodness of the Lord. We haven't yet appropriated the wonderful filet mignon blessings of God. And so we feel empty. And when you feel empty... You'll go for stale spam. You'll go, go for cold bologna. But if you are dining on the feast of God and His character and His goodness and His truth and His work in your life and the dignity and significance He wants to give to you, when the enemy comes with a cold spam sandwich, you say, I'm already full. I'll pass. I'll pass. Well, praise continually reminds us of the filet mignon that God has set before us that is our daily bread and our daily provision. And as you praise Him, you begin to develop a satisfied heart which ultimately is the best safeguard against temptation. See, some people try to stand in the face of temptation saying, God, help me not to give in. God, help me not to give in. God, help me not to give in. God says, be so full of me, you won't even want to give in. And that's where praise helps us to find deliverance from sin. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, teach us to praise you. Teach us to praise you. But that instruction will begin when we make the choice and the decision to praise you. For when the learner is ready to learn, the teacher always appears. Father God, help us to understand that when you called us to praise you, you weren't just giving us something to occupy 15 or 20 minutes of our time together on the weekend. You were calling us to a liberating lifestyle where hope is kept alive, where power is released, where deliverance is experienced. And if we're going to be healthy in Jesus, we've got to be people who praise our God day and night, night and day. So, Father, teach us to praise you that we might see your power in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.